Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Employers and businesses were legally allowed to discriminate against Alaska Natives until 1945. That's the year that the Territorial Legislature adopted the Anti-Discrimination Act. The law was largely the result of the tenacity and eloquence of Elizabeth Parotrovich. For the past 34 years, Alaska has set aside a day in February to honor Parotrovich. Today, we'll take time to remember her contributions to civil rights in Alaska and the rest of the country. We're back right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Megan Kamrick in for Antonia Gonzalez. A hospital on the Navajo Nation near the Arizona-New Mexico border is suing the Indian Health Service after a steep cut to its budget. As Arizona Public Radio's Ryan Heinches reports, the facility says the decision will heavily impact the quality of health care in nearby tribal communities. According to the Fort Defiance Indian Hospital Board, the IHS cut 90 percent of the budget from the facility's contract support funding. It totals about $16 million and the hospital board says the move violates provisions of the Indian Self-Determination and Education Assistance Act. The 1975 law gives tribes the authority to contract with the federal government for programs that serve tribal members. The Fort Defiance Hospital Board slammed IHS's decision to slash the budget, saying it's especially bad timing as the Navajo Nation continues to grapple with the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Cases on the vast reservation skyrocketed during the Omicron fueled surge, setting the tribe's all-time record for new daily infections in mid-January. The board says the cut will also impact employees and the local economy, making it more difficult to provide health care to Navajo communities. The IHS didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. For National Native News, I'm Ryan Heinches in Flagstaff. In Detroit, police intervened to stop a Native American ceremony Friday night in a city park with one officer caught on a video posted to social media saying, quote, the sovereign stuff is not valid. The Detroit Free Press reports the ceremony was a kickoff to the Detroit Sugarbush Project. For three years, Anishinaabe and Potawatomi people have taught participants how to tap maple trees in River Rouge Park and boil the sap over a fire to make syrup. It's part of a larger food sovereignty movement, and organizers have a memorandum of understanding with the city of Detroit and a burn permit for a bonfire. But police officers showed up in tactical gear and told participants they had two minutes to put out the fire and leave. Attendees filed reports with the police department, which was unavailable for comment. However, the project organizers confirmed their paperwork is in order, and they reconvened Saturday morning in the park to reflect on what happened. Rosebud Bear Schneider, a ceremony organizer, told the Free Press, quote, It's a shame that it's 2022 and we still have to fight for our rights and just to exist as Native people. A new apartment building has opened in Seattle's Pioneer Square, focused on low-income and unhoused Native Americans in the city. Indian Country Today reports All All was opened by the Chief Seattle Club, a nonprofit organization. The name means home in the Lushootseed language. The 80-unit building was designed by indigenous architects. Residents or families must make below 50% of the area's median income, and 10 of the units are reserved for veterans. Monthly rents will range from about $216 to $556. Executive Director of the club, Derek Belgard, said Native Americans and Alaska Natives make up just 1% of King County's population, yet they account for about 15% 
of the chronically homeless. Bellegarde says they're also battling more trauma and addiction from hundreds of years of oppression and forced relocation. This is the first housing project in Seattle geared to that population. The interior of the nine-story building features work by Native artists, and the exterior brickwork is designed with Salish patterns. There's a space for a cafe serving traditional foods. There will also be a clinic in the building with a traditional healing space operated by the Seattle Indian Health Board. Belgard told Indian Country Today that culturally specific programs tend to have higher rates of success, especially when people who are unhoused don't trust the mainstream system. The Chief Seattle Club has plans for another larger project called Sacred Medicine House, due to break ground this summer. For National Native News, I'm Megan Kamrick. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Sanoski Chambers Law Firm, championing tribal sovereignty and defending Native American rights since 1976 with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Support by the Center for Indigenous Cancer Research at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center, dedicated to cancer research, medicine, and cancer care for indigenous populations. A no-charge online risk assessment tool is available at roswellpark.org slash assessme. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Today's discussion involves a discrimination debate from 80 years ago, but the ideas remain just as relevant today. What makes the difference now are the many years of awareness and legal protections attributed to the champion of that debate, Elizabeth Protrovich. She is the Tlingit woman whose voice was instrumental in enacting the Alaska Anti-Discrimination Act of 1945. Before that time, Alaska Native people were routinely denied access to businesses and refused employment. Alaska just marked Elizabeth Protrovich Day on Wednesday. It was enacted in 1988 to honor her achievements. Her likeness was added to the $1 gold coin in 2020. Today, we'll get a better idea of who Elizabeth Protrovich was and the challenges she faced when she fought against discrimination in what was then the Alaska Territory. As always, you're more than welcome to join our conversation, so give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us today from her vacation spot in Fort Campbell, Kentucky, is Daphne Albee. She's the Grand President of the Alaska Native Sisterhood, and she's Tlingit. Daphne, welcome to Native America Calling. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And joining us from Longmont, Colorado, is Michael Roberts. He's the President and CEO of First Nations Development Institute. He's Tlingit. Welcome back to NAC, Michael. Thank you, sir. And joining us from Juneau, Alaska, is Paulette M. Marino. She's a three-term Alaska Native Sisterhood Grand President from 2019 through 2021 and current ANS Executive Council. She's Tlingit and Southern Toshone Nation. Welcome to Native America Calling, Paulette. It's really good to be amongst the people today. Thank you, Sean. 
Well, it's wonderful to have all three of my guests on the show today. And folks, let's hear some history about Elizabeth Petrovich before we start today's discussion. Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski honored Elizabeth Petrovich on Wednesday on the U.S. Senate floor. She mentioned how Petrovich encountered discrimination in Juneau, similar to Jim Crow laws in the South. Murkowski recounted a pivotal moment during the deliberations of the Anti-Discrimination Act and the Territorial Legislature in 1945. This excerpt is edited for time. This was the time of debate where this anti-discrimination bill had passed the House, it had moved over to the Senate, and there was a territorial senator who denounced these efforts to desegregate. And he stood up on the Senate floor and he says, who are these people, barely out of savagery, who want to associate with us whites with 5,000 years of recorded civilization behind us? Pretty inflammatory if you are sitting there in, the, in those Senate chambers listening to that, certainly, uh, certainly to an Alaska Native person. At the end of the debate, the public was offered a chance to express their views in front of the legislature. That's not something that you, you have happen in most legislatures. We don't have it in our legislature now, but in our territorial legislature, the public was, was offered a chance to, to weigh in here. And Elizabeth Paratrovich stood in the back of this Senate gallery. And in her remarks, she said, I would not have expected that I, who am barely out of savagery, would have to remind gentlemen with 5,000 years of recorded civilization behind them of our Bill of Rights. And with asked if she thought that the bill would eliminate discrimination, she replied, do your laws against larceny and even murder prevent those crimes? No law will eliminate crimes, but at least you as legislators can assert to the world that you recognize the evil of the present situation and speak your intent to help us overcome discrimination. Imagine this scene. You are, in, you are part of this legislative body. And from the back of the gallery, a Native woman stands to speak to address this elected body. Following her comments, there was a long period of silence. And then there was applause through the gallery and through the Senate floor, including, including from some who had previously opposed the bill. During an Indian Affairs Committee hearing on Native voting access last October, the president of the Alaska Federation of Natives, Julie Kitka, reminded us that these events are not very old. And sometimes we think of Elizabeth Pratrovich as, as part of our history, but she, Elizabeth, and her husband, Roy, and the impact that they had on Alaska and the way that they strengthened our democracy is our current history as well. That was Senator Lisa Murkowski recounting the legacy of Elizabeth Pratrovich on the U.S. Senate floor last week. Daphne, please start us off. As we reflect on the legacy of Elizabeth Protrovich, I can't help but note her relevancy in today's political contexts of social justice, racism, and awareness. But please, elaborate on Senator Murkowski's words. What makes Elizabeth Protrovich so special? 
Thank you. Well, Elizabeth Pradovich, we still take her words to heart. She's been, uh, you know, she encourages us as her, her words encourage us as we continue to fight for our equal rights today, for our voting rights, for our indigenous languages being taught through the schools. And, you know, there are many aspects in in today's world where her words continue to encourage us. Now, what else did Elizabeth Parachovich achieve in addition to the Anti-Discrimination Act? I know she worked on a lot of projects tirelessly throughout her life. That one I would need to ask Paulette, Sister Paulette's help. Well, let's go ahead and bring Paulette into the conversation. Paulette, can you provide a little bit more background on just some of other some of, of Elizabeth Parachovich's other accomplishments in addition to the Anti-Discrimination Act? I would love to. Thank you so much, Sean. Again, this is Paulette Marino. Uh, my Tlingit name is Tate Uniek, and I'm calling from our uh, ancestral homeland of the Alquan here in Juneau, Alaska, and I am an Alquan woman, a child of the Kogwantan. would like to recognize their opposites, the Wishkatan, the Yanyudi. So with that, Sean, in regards to Elizabeth Wanamaker Paradovich, she went on to also help with other things. It, she's also quoted as saying, our native boys are being called upon to defend our beloved country, just as white boys. Um, she went on to write a letter to the government in regards to the Red Cross. She wanted there to be additional uh, packages sent to our soldiers across seas and to encourage them, understanding that as we speak of the United States, we also speak of the over 500 nations who have the ancestral ties to this homeland. So she helped the veterans. She helped with the war effort. She also helped with health care. And when she retired, she did not disappear from public eye. She was a representative for the National Congress of American Indians, where she continued to help on um, national levels, too. So her influence helped here in Alaska with housing. She also worked closely with the Alaska Native Brotherhood, which is our counterpart. And together, they were diligent in keeping an eye on the Anti-Discrimination Act of 1945. They also worked tirelessly with many of the Native people here in Southeast Alaska on the right to vote, on anti-discrimination, and on many of our other civil, but especially our human rights. So, Sean, she raised the level of respect on our own traditional homeland with the Western society who had just newly been to this land. Thank you. Paulette, thank you for such extensive background and um, just clarifying so much of this information. And I remember vaguely when this day was enacted in 1988. And I think the reason is because I was going to Haskell at the time and my roommate was a Tlingit from Juneau. And I feel that for too long, Elizabeth has been one of Alaska's best kept secrets. And I, I wonder why has it taken so long for her to gain this much needed recognition among Native people in the lower 48 in addition to Alaska Native people? Sean, is that question yeah. for our Madam Grand President? Or uh, that's, uh, I, was, I was directing that at, at, at Paulette, for Paulette. Okay, so thank you so much, Sean, for that question. I believe that timing, just as there are all of the seasons all of our four seasons and the natural law of the land um, and of the animals, there is timing in things. 
So with Elizabeth Wanamaker Paradovich, her and Roy's legacy, this is the timing now. Even though she she had passed an untimely death of cancer, her influence has reached throughout the land. We've known of her within our villages and our communities here in Alaska. But there seems to be something um, that is a worldwide concern. And I think our leaders don't only rule in the natural world, they also influence us in the spiritual world. So I think this timing has come about where her voice is carrying um, throughout the seas and throughout the grass fields and throughout the mountaintops and everything, because this is a time that we need to come together and understand that, you know, it is true. One of the things that she said is that this law would not discriminate the act of, you know, it would not give away and completely abolish discrimination. It would need constant diligence. So in bringing her forward today, I think that this has to do with timing. So what is it 75 years later? Plus, we are once again looking at the voting rights bill. We are looking at not discriminating in Indian country if it be on reservations in some of our tiniest villages in northern interior and southeast Alaska. So her legacy on the $1 coin, her legacy being on the bar recently of the worldwide Google, and the discussion that's taking place with holidays and other things in regards to Elizabeth is timing. Our people need spiritual help right now. And I believe that she is one of the spirits that's visiting us and helping to inspire Paulette, I'm sorry. I'm going to go ahead and have to interrupt. You're going to go to break. I'll let you finish those thoughts right after break. The pending change in wireless technology holds a lot of promise for both consumers and businesses. But it also brings a number of concerns about transition miscues and potentially costly upgrades. We'll learn about the coming switch to 5G and what Native nations should be on the lookout for. That's on the next Native America Calling. Center for Medicare and Medicaid Service. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're getting a look at the life and work of Elizabeth Parachovich, a civil rights pioneer whose legacy is felt by every Alaska Native person. And her sense of justice and equality is something we all benefit from. If you'd like to contribute to our conversation, please give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also connect with us online at NativeAmericaCalling.com or using Facebook and Twitter. Before we went to break, we were listening to Paulette Marino as she explained Elizabeth's growing legacy. And, and Paulette, please finish your thoughts. Thank you so much, Sean. Um, so I would just like to wrap up by saying I believe that her legacy is continuing right now because the assistance from the spiritual world is important to us as Native American and Alaska Native tribes, and her legacy is such an influence that I believe that that is why it is growing. Thank you, Sean.
Thank you, Paulette. Daphne, as a child, what were you taught about Elizabeth? Thank you. Yes, I was just taught just the basics of Elizabeth, uh, that she was instrumental in passing the uh, encouraging and influencing passing the Anti-Discrimination Act. What I really find um, enjoyable is that now even uh, they have animated cartoons, say for Molly of Denali, that had an that is geared toward the younger children and introducing them to Elizabeth Paradovich and, and teaching them at, at the level that they understand. Was Elizabeth's legacy taught in schools when you were a child? I, I spent my younger years in Alaska, but these were in elementary school years. Um, so I, most of my years were in kindergarten. I don't remember a whole lot from there, but, uh, in, in Alaska. And after that, I had traveled since my father was in the service. What about today, Daphne? Do you know if, if are Alaskan children learning more about Elizabeth than perhaps a few previous generations? Do you know? Yes, I believe that they are. We are, there is a move to educate the children. We, we have um, different programs throughout the schools. As a matter of fact, during our virtual our Elizabeth Paradovich Day virtual event that we had this past Wednesday, we had schools from children from Huna schools and children from the uh, Anchorage School District that uh, they put on different um, songs and um, uh, videos regarding Elizabeth well, Paradovich. That's wonderful. So it sounds like awareness of Elizabeth has certainly evolved and, and changed over time. I'd like to now bring Michael Roberts into our conversation again. He is with First Nations Development Institute. Michael, you have a strong connection to Elizabeth. Please tell us about it. Yeah. Um, thank you, Sean. Good to show you for having me on. Um, my great-grandmother is Rosanna Peradovich. She was Roy Peradovich's brother, I mean sister. And um, and as we know, Roy was married to Elizabeth. So Elizabeth was my great, great, great aunt. Um, and uh, actually, both of my daughters have uh, middle names that are derivatives of Elizabeth. So um, just a way of trying to honor her and keep her name alive in our family. That's fascinating. So great, great, great aunt. Michael, I find that legacies of historical figures are often complex, and some legacies seem to age better than others. Like sometimes when I reflect on people in the past, I think to myself, yes, they were certainly exceptionary. They were exceptional. They were visionary. But their message might not hold up as well today or translate when viewed under a contemporary lens. But then again, there are some legacies that age almost like a fine wine. And I think Elizabeth is one of those legacies. With each passing year, she becomes more relevant, more understood, more appreciated. Why is that? You know, I, I think there's a, a whole bunch of reasons. Um, one is, I think, just the story of the Alaska Native fight, um, you know, not as well known in the lower 48, is becoming more and more, uh, you know, an everyday conversation. I mean, the Alaska Native Brotherhood, um, founded in 1912, 1913, and Alaska Native Sisterhood a couple of years later. So, you know, these folks had been fighting for indigenous rights in Alaska for 30 or 40 years before this legislation happened. And, you know, Elizabeth's work was, you know, wasn't just kind of Johnny come lately. She had been doing, you know, petition writing and, and, and lobbying for four or five years along with her husband, Roy, um, before this 
bill was introduced. In fact, they had introduced an earlier bill that, that hadn't been successful. And it was, you know, really her persistence and, you know, her hard work that um, that really, you know, has a, lot, a long-lasting story of, of persistence that, um, you know, that you know, these kinds of struggles aren't aren't one overnight. They're they're uh, they're hard fought, and I think that that's the story that kind of resonates today. That you know we need to keep fighting for the, the kinds of things that are important to us as as Native people in the U.S. Michael, how has your own awareness of Elizabeth Broadridge changed over time? Yeah, well, you know it's, it's interesting. I mean, I I didn't know Elizabeth. She passed before I was born, but uh, I. You know, I knew my great grandmother and um, and you know extended family who were who who knew of her and my you know, my of course my, my grandfather, um, who was her her nephew, knew her well. And so, you know, in, in the family, it was it was pretty well known. I don't think I was fully aware of the depth of of work that her and Roy had done on Alaska Native rights and the full knowledge of the Alaska Native Brotherhood and Sisterhood and and the work that they had done over you know 30 and 40 years. And so. That really wasn't, you know, that wasn't taught in school. I, um, I went to, to school in Ketchikan where Elizabeth and Roy lived for a lot of their life. Um, and, and, you know, even then, you know, this was not part of our, our everyday curriculum growing up. Alaska Native history, Alaska Native culture wasn't part of the mainstream curriculum in Alaska high schools and junior highs and elementary school. Michael, your organization, First Nations Development Institute, honors Elizabeth Parachovich Day as a work holiday. And I think that's pretty cool for an organization based in colorful Colorado. Is this a growing trend among tribes and native organizations in the lower 48 to set aside February 16th as a day of reflection? Well, you know, I don't, I, I you know, I would love for it to be, you know, I, I came back to take over from the founder of First Nations 20 years ago. And, and my thought was that we celebrated a lot of non-native holidays and that we should really you know, start celebrating our own people and our own um, cultures and traditions. And, and for me, the, you know, I, I thought I would say an example for um, my staff that you know we we can start considering different folks like this. And and for me, the logical person to to start to kick this off with was was Elizabeth Peradovich. And and I I really wanted this to be a way for you know our staff and and the folks who are associated with First Nations to understand that you can do this you know as an organization and um, whether other organizations are doing this or not um, I, I haven't heard of other folks celebrating um, unique holidays to their organization or their culture or, or Elizabeth Peradovich but I, I hope it's a growing trend. Michael, what can tribes outside of Alaska learn from Elizabeth Peradovich and her continuing legacy? Yeah, I mean, I you know I think her words just alone. I mean, she's she is, are so present today. I mean, I, I think that when she talks about, uh, you know, when when people say that asked her about whether the, the anti-discrimination law would stop discrimination, and she so beautifully and eloquently puts it that you know these laws that are on the books don't stop bad behavior in general. That we have to enforce these laws, um, and that diligence that needs to happen um, even when laws are on the books. I, I think that this is. You know, as, as Indian people, we and Native people, we really need to, you know, be aware that, you know, we can we can have legislative and policy victories, but that that um, we need to be, you know, mindful and monitoring every day to make sure that these um, rights that we preserved and that we protected um, are valid and enforced and and, and preserved um, because they were so hard fought by our ancestors and and folks like Elizabeth.
Absolutely. Thank you for those insights, Michael. Paulette, the gold $1 coin that Elizabeth Brodovich is on, that's one of the, the coolest uh, ways to, to honor this woman, uh, in addition to the, the Google post and, and some of these other efforts. But Paulette, you were involved with that coin project. Tell us about it. Thank you so much, Sean, and hello to Michael. Also, I'm glad you're able to join us. So the $1 gold coin honoring Elizabeth was uh, the hard work of many different people here in Alaska who had brought forward the, the idea, the concept from the artists to the, the people. And they had support from the legislator. And it was the U.S. Mint that began working with them. Rosita World from the Alaska Heritage Institute was instrumental in that, as was part of Elizabeth's family and Roy's family. So when they came forward with the concept, it was due time once again. And it was a really long process, but the U.S. Mint, as they looked at who to honor, I believe that the Native people were ready to honor a Lincoln woman who had done something such as helping pass the Anti-Discrimination Act 20 years before, um, before Martin Luther King's involvement respectfully, and we respect him and his nation very much also. So with that being said, the coin came forward, and it was actually ready to be unveiled, and we were really anticipating that. And the U.S. Mint came to what we have. It's an annual convention, Sean, called Grand Camp. So the Alaska Native Brotherhood, ANS, Alaska Native Sisterhood, um, all came forward, ANS and A&B, and we met in Anchorage in 2019. We actually got to see on floor the unveiling of the design of the coin. And that was really exciting. So the U.S. Mint, their representatives came to Alaska, they joined in our culture, listened to our policies, and unveiled the design. From there, we began to um, we began to celebrate the release of the Elizabeth coin. Paulette, who was the artist that actually made that design for the coin, Elizabeth's likeness? Well, there were several, several different artists, and um, I will get back to you on that, so I will let you know here in just a moment, but I do want to say, um, before, before I mention that name, that in the, in the halls of the galley, I was there as grand president, and the 4-H kids came up, and they said that they were putting together a resolution because they wanted to also have access to the coin. Um, and when they went before the Alaska legislature, they had a simple resolution called HJR 9, or House Joint Resolution 9. And when they brought that forward, they, um, they said that they wanted to be able to hold something in the palm of their hand. And they mm -hmm. wanted to be inspired when they held something in the palm of their hand. And these were children from over 200 villages. So as our ANS Grand President, Ms. Selby said, um, it is the children who this is far-reaching to because this world is theirs. So um, I will get back to you on the artist name that was selected here in just a moment. Sean, but I wanted to uh, make sure that I'm answering your question in regards to a little bit of the, the history and the inspiration of the coin. Well, you bet, Paulette. And that's something to hold in the palm of their hand that's so... In so profound. And, and again, I'm always amazed at some of the wonderful 
comments and ideas that, that young people have. And again, wonderful story. Paulette, other similar efforts to honor Elizabeth Pradovich in the future? I understand there's a mural in Juneau, right? Uh, yes, and the, the artist's name is <clears throat> Felipe Hemphill, who designed the coin, and it was create, created the design of the Native American coin. So what was the last question? Thank you, Sean. I was just curious about the mural in Juneau and just learning more about it. Okay, well, that is a really, really beautiful mural in Juneau, and it, if our Native nations that are listening today could imagine you know, several, several hundred feet high in downtown Juneau. Celeste Whirl was the designer of that. Um, when you come to visit us up here in Alaska, be sure to stop by the mural. It is absolutely beautiful. It's also the backdrop that our grand president had worked with the artist to use for our recent virtual gathering. So if you visit that site, you'll be able to see that. And the fact that our local city, village, and tribal governments are recognizing Native people in prominent places um, is so extremely important, Sean. So that is a beautiful tribute to Elizabeth, and I would encourage all of our nations to continue to have our people recognized on our ancestral homeland. Thank you. Thank you, Paulette. Daphne, I'd like to bring you back into our conversation. What does Elizabeth's legacy mean to you today, 2022? Elizabeth Paradovich, she is just an inspiration. When I start questioning how I'm going to uh, proceed with something, I think about the work that she did, the obstacles that she had to come across, and how she worked through those. And that just inspires me to continue on through the work and to an, encourage our our next generation. There are several younger people that have questions and and need guidance. And, uh, you know, she's, she's an inspiration for me to continue on with that type of work. Daphne, an interesting aspect of Elizabeth's life is the fact that she died relatively young, uh, mentioned on the show earlier, of breast cancer at the age of 47. Had she lived longer, what more do you think she might have accomplished? That is a great question. I, 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 don't think there is a limit. She just seemed to have the heart of the, her people, of civil rights, and I think her work would have continued on to this day. Michael, same question. Had Elizabeth lived longer, what do you think she might have accomplished? You know, I mean, I, you know, I am, <laughs> I, I'm a Clinkett man, so I, I'm going to defer to to Pauline and, and I mean, Paulette and Daphne here. I mean, I think they've summed it up nicely about you know her her preparedness and her willingness to speak out um, on issues and, and I think that would would have continued. Um, you know Alaska has has not progressed as much as uh, Senator Murkowski would like to believe. If you have looked at you know, Native Native News in the last couple of weeks, there was a, a pretty racist incident in Ketchikan where um, Liz was spent most of her life. Um, from dishonoring of a, a local basketball team from a from a native village, and so you know, I think that you know the, the fight wouldn't have been over, and she'd still be fighting that fight today in Alaska. 
Well, thanks, Michael. We're going to go ahead and let Paulette uh, respond to that question as well, but we are going to have to take a break here in just a short minute. So folks, we are talking today about the lasting and growing legacy of Elizabeth Parodovich on Native America Calling today, and we really want to hear from you, especially our Alaska relatives listening to the show today. So give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can reach out to us on Facebook at Native America Calling or on Twitter at one eight zero zero nine nine native promise we'll get your comments on the air if you want to post a picture on instagram you can do that at native america calling we have so many different ways to connect with us and please please reach out fascinating conversation insightful discussion learning so much today about the legacy of elizabeth Prodovich. you're listening to the one the only native america calling i'm sean spruce and we'll be back right after this break Do you have stories to tell? Vision Maker Media funds Native American and Alaska Native long and short documentaries at all stages of development and is currently seeking proposals intended for PBS television broadcasting through their public media fund. These projects should represent the cultures, experiences, and perspectives of Native Americans and Alaska Natives. Deadline for submissions is Friday, February 11th at visionmakermedia.org who support this program. Thanks for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. There's still time to get in on our discussion today about civil rights hero Elizabeth Protrovich. So give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. Tell us what you think. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And speaking of the phones, we have a caller, a regular at Native America Calling, Melvin. He's listening on KZYK in Santee, Nebraska. Melvin, what's on your mind? Well, I've never heard of this lady tell this show. Now, um, it looks like I'm going to be doing some research on the internet on this incredible lady. What a story. Uh, thank you for everybody who's informing us of this lady. And, uh, you know, most of my heroes are women. And she sounds like I'll be adding another one. Melvin, thank you for those comments. Most of your heroes are, are women, and I totally agree with you on that. And again, I think, unfortunately, so many of us Native people in the lower 48 just don't know as much as, as we should and could about Elizabeth. So thank you again for calling. And before we went to break, we were listening to Daphne and Michael as they expounded on Elizabeth's legacy. And Paulette, I'd also like to give you a chance to to chime in and expand on Elizabeth's legacy and perhaps uh, mention or, or comment on, on Melvin's response with regard to just folks not knowing as much about Elizabeth, but, but wanting to learn more. So Paulette, please, um, your thoughts. Thank you. Well, on behalf of the Alaska Native Sisterhood, and the Alaska Native Brotherhood, we would like to welcome the world in joining us and a special invitation to our 500 Native nations um, here from coast to coast and the people of all cultures to learn more about Elizabeth Wanamaker Paradovich because as our caller had said, many of our leaders are women and I think 
you know, we respect, we we love our men. They are our counterparts. They are they are partners in life. They um, help us with so many things. But the women are life givers. The women have that sacred power of life giving, and I think that if we in invite the world to join us in learning about her. We need people that we can hold on to and feel comforted by and inspired by. And Elizabeth and her husband, Roy, are such people that we can be inspired on. So we'd just like to invite the world and would especially like to invite our children to learn about Elizabeth, about her legacy, And when you have a moment to speak, when you see something that is going on that is not right, if you feel the courage rise up to you, and holding on to one of these coins in the palm of your hand is something that uh, many people are doing, including our, our representative, Lisa Murkowski, who spoke at the beginning of this from our Alaska congressional delegation. She came to my home in Sitka in 2019 visit it with the with us for about six hours but at the end of that six hours i paid her a dollar <laughs> i gave her an elizabeth uh, gold <laughs> coin <laughs> of which i believe she has in her office right now so there's many different signs that um of wealth or signs of value that we could use but invite the world to join in our story sean i think that would be wonderful a dollar paid for a hard day's work huh paulette Yes. Michael, Elizabeth's son, Roy Pradovich Jr., once commented, my mother was determined to stand her ground, but she would always do it with grace and dignity. And as you mentioned earlier, the Anti-Discrimination Act did not end discrimination, and even Elizabeth acknowledged that herself. And and, and So I'm curious, Michael, where does the struggle to end prejudice and discrimination towards Native people? Where does it go from here? Oh, you know, there's so many places for it to go. And, and I, I think it has a lot to do with um, awareness and narrative. Um, Sean, you know that First Nations did this work called Reclaiming Native Truth a couple of years back. And one of the big findings of my research um, in trying to change the narrative was just the invisibility on the part of natives in this country, how most United States does not see natives in contemporary society and see them as relics of the past. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of efforts that um, are, are working to address that invisibility. I, I will I will call one out, and that's the American Indian Hall of Fame. Um, you know, they've done a great job over the last few years trying to hold up folks, um, uh, leaders from our past, um, who have done incredible things and. and and Elizabeth was, in, it was um, inducted to the Hall of Fame four or five years ago. Um, and I think that is one of the ways that um, folks can find out more about Elizabeth and her legacy and her, her lifelong work. Uh, just because, um, you know, those folks are doing a lot of work to try and figure out how to make um, the inductees that they've um, brought into the Hall of Fame to date um, make curricula, curriculum um, about them for education for for native school children throughout the u.s okay thanks for that insight daphine i i think when we reflect on these types of conditions that elizabeth experienced uh you know signs like no dogs no natives allowed um white trade only and it just 
it confounds me that that really wasn't that long ago in many ways. And Daphne, I'm interested now, the Alaska Native Sisterhood, what kind of work are you folks doing with regard to civil rights? And, and what is the focus of that work now? Thank you. So the Alaska Native Sisterhood, and along with Alaska Native Brotherhood, are working on uh, advocating for the voting rights for um, indigenous language in schools, in public schools, for um, the rights for subsistence and fisheries. And Sister Paulette is, is very knowledgeable about these herring issues that we are having. And so the uh, both the Alaska Native Brotherhood and the Alaska Native Sisterhood will be traveling to Anchorage this March 9th and talking about the, the one of our resolutions that passed at Grand Camp for the uh, subsistence rights and the herring, asking for a five-year moratorium. Okay, five-year moratorium. Interesting to know. Paula, is there anything you would like to add or expand on with regard to the Alaska Native Sisterhood and Brotherhood in terms of their advocacy work for civil rights? Thank you so much, uh, Sean, for the question. And our Madam Grand President has stated very well that there's many different issues that the ANBNA and ANS are working on. In regards to civil rights, I would say that what we are working on, quote, civil rights, is really our our inherent sovereign rights as the first peoples of this land, of this being our ancestral homeland. So if that falls in legislation of, uh, of our right to vote, our right to housing, our right to have our land acknowledgements and our tribes acknowledge wherever, wherever we are at, I think all of that is really important. And what else is really important in, as far as civil rights goes is we have a way of life. And I know that, that that will touch many of your listeners' hearts. Our way of life, you know, we've had a spirituality that we have always had that is unquestionably pristine and beautiful. And I think that spirituality is part of the civil rights that, or human rights that would be called upon right now at a time like this. So when I think of our work of A and B and A and S, our way of life is also our relationship to the natural world or the land, Sean. So we are fighting to be able to feed our families, not only Western food, but our own native food. So at convention, when we meet annually, we get resolutions from Angoon, Huna, Tennessee Springs, you know, many, many different places, many, many different communities. We have over 21 different camps or local chapters. So we have some of those resolutions that come forward. I would say a lot of them. A huge percentage has to do with protecting our fishing, our hunting, and our gathering um, rights. As our Madam Grand President stated, the herring is the beginning of the life cycle. It's a small fish that has a seven-year um, cycle, and they come in. They used to come into the oceans and come up upon the shores for hundreds and hundreds of miles. Now, through the Western model of fishery. That has been what we believe um, mismanaged, and because of that, we are coming forward with uh, supporting certain proposals and opposing other proposals that would further deplete this resource. This resource feeds the whales, 
it feeds many of the marine life. And it's really important that we come together and we protect our animal brothers and sisters, too. So I would say AMB and ANS civil rights is our traditional traditional rights and our inherent sovereignty. Thank you. Paulette, I'm curious, does the name Elizabeth Prodovich, does, that, does she still carry weight in those discussions that you mentioned to progress on human rights in Alaska? Yes, Sean, I believe that she carries a tremendous amount of weight. Like I said, I believe that um, that from the spiritual world, her and Roy and all of our ancestors, as with our Native American brothers and sisters, and their, you know, all of our ancestors together, carry weight to us today because we think in the mindset mindset to seven generations out. We think of our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and all those that will be coming after us. So I believe that she thought about that at the time that she spoke. Sometimes to have courage is not to have courage for yourself or your own personal gain, but to have courage for your nation, for your families, and for what should be and what could be and what will be because her weight for us today is that we stand up on our own land, who we are, proud of who we are, and in a very humble way go forward amongst our own, but in the halls of Congress, legislature, our own city, city governments, that we, um, we are treated with the respect that we deserve. And she has taught us that. So, yes, she still carries weight today. Sheesh, thank you. Paulette, Elizabeth Wanamaker was born in 1931 in Petersburg, Alaska. And I have read that her Tlingit name can be translated as person who packs for themselves. Do you think mm -hmm. that's reflective of her legacy? That absolutely. Name? Um, absolutely. And our, our Native people give Native names not so much as a, as a personal for personal gain, once again, but for community gain. They know your characteristics, and sometimes people come back um, to finish the story of another. So reincarnation is a concept that comes back. And her native name, Packing for the People, yes, I believe that that honors her. And what we call living up to your name is important, too. If you live up to your native name that is given to you, then you're living up to the promise that you were born into with that name. And when you fulfill that promise, I'm sure that she has peace in heaven, but she seems to be also um, continuing it there because she sure does inspire us in our hearts and souls when we stand up and speak. And I really hope your your audience is out there listening and, and they... Uh, Understand that living up to her name, she's still at work right now. So whatever you need to do in your communities, in your homes, in your places in the world, make them points of peace and stand up for yourself. So, yeah. Paula, she's, she's absolutely, she certainly is still living and still just as influential as ever. And thank you again for, for all of those insights and all of that wisdom. Daphne, this is hard work. What keeps you going? What keeps you in this fight? Thank you. So what keeps me in this fight is the love for our Native people, for 
and, and actually it's not just the Native people, it's all the people in the state of Alaska, all the people in, in every community that we live in, supporting each other, fighting for our equal rights, making sure that, that we have um, what we need, that we teach our children, that we teach future generations what they need to know so that our, you know, our way of life is understood and, and in turn loved by those and will continue. Now, for our listeners, I, I know we mentioned a few resources, uh, some information out there, but could you uh, repeat again, where are some places and some good sources that our listeners can go to to learn more about Elizabeth's legacy? Thank you. There, are, Thankfully, the state of Alaska is, is expanding on the Elizabeth Pradovich, certainly the Alaska Native Brotherhood and the Alaska Native Sisterhood website, and we have... Uh, several books. There are, I think there was uh, one, Fighter in Velvet Gloves. There are several books that are written about Elizabeth Paradovich. And those are all that I can think of right now. Okay. Michael, I'd like to bring you in with the last word on today's conversation. Any other resources or places to go for our listeners to learn more about Elizabeth's legacy? We got about another minute before we got to end the show. Michael Roberts, please. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll, I'll, re, I'll restate the the American Indian Hall of Fame, um, where she was an inductee, and they have a nice profile of her there. I would also say Peter Metcalf's book um, called A Dangerous Idea that really talks about the legacy of the Alaska Native Brotherhood and Alaska Native Sisterhood with regard to civil rights and human rights in Alaska. I think it's just a, a great telling of the story of which Elizabeth was a big part. Well, thank you again, Michael. And folks, I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today's discussion about Native Alaskan civil rights hero, Elizabeth Perotovich. I want to thank my guests, Daphne Alby, Michael Roberts, and Paulette Marino for sharing their insights on the legacy of this pivotal figure and the fight for equality and justice. We're back with another live show tomorrow. We'll be talking about the benefits and concerns with the pending conversion to 5G wireless technology. I'm Sean Spruce. Thanks for listening to Native America Calling. Looking to get your high school diploma? Southwestern Indian Polytechnic Institute offers Native Americans ages 18 or older training and preparation courses for the high school equivalency diploma, in person and online beginning May 4th. All attendance and testing fees for this program are waived, and resources will be available to help with supplies and living expenses. Space is limited. Application deadline is April 8th. More by calling 505-382-4287 or at sipi.edu who support this show. Jangat <laughs> <laughs>
Pakluku insurekidsnow.gov Kwasukayaga Kulku 1877 Kids Now. Kanshutki Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.